Hey everyone, you're listening to the Directors Club Podcast, and I am Jim Laskowski. Uh, I'm very lucky to have on this special bonus episode with us. Uh, he's the uh, vice president of the Chicago Film Critics Association, a contributing writer to eFilmCritic.com. He's a weekly guest reviewer on WGN Radio with Nick DiGilio, and lately he's also been making appearances on WCIU-TV. Uh, welcome back, Eric Childress, to the show. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Okay, thanks for having me, Jim. Oh, yeah, we're glad to have you back on uh, the Christopher Nolan episode. You might remember you might remember Eric from such episodes as the Christopher Nolan episode. <laughs> yeah, which went over very, very well with uh I'm very happy listeners. to hear that. I'm glad that that, uh, that took, uh, like, that got some notice. Yeah, That's it's nice to hear. still number one out of all nice. our episodes. Yeah, and I think a lot of that might have to do with a certain uh, summer blockbuster release. That uh, mm, possibly, yeah, yeah, certainly, or it could just be your charismatic approach to uh, talking about could be, movies. Could be that too. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're getting an exclusive rundown today, courtesy of Eric, and I'm uh, very excited because there's a lot of films I know I can't wait to see, and a lot of these, uh, a lot I don't know, a lot of these may may not come out this year. I know one in particular. Uh, the place beyond the pines. I don't know if that's gotten a distributor or not. Uh, but it has. Uh, oh, it does. Focus, okay. Focus Features picked it up. Oh, great! Is that coming yeah, out this so. year or next year? I, I I'd be surprised if it came out this year. I mean, mm. they already got kind of a kind of an Oscar slate on their hands later this year. I don't think they'd want to shove that in here. It, it, I don't know. If, I don't know if it'd actually be a big Oscar player anyway. Mm-hmm. So they could probably bring it out, but I, I think they're probably safer off just waiting till next year. Maybe play another f- festival or two. Well, yeah. I mean, the majority of these films we will get to see at some point in time because I know a lot of the times, like a festival at Sundance, it, it can be you know, hit or, hit or miss, or at least you mm-hmm. just don't know if it's going to get picked up or we'll even get to see it. But you would say that the majority of the films that you saw are are likely to come out either this year or sometime in the near future. Yeah, whether even, you know, even, I mean, most of the stuff will come, will probably most likely come out in some kind of theatrical venue. Um, and, you know, if not, you know, they'll, you'll, they'll find their way to DVD soon enough with the next, you know, usually, you know, two years is usually a pretty good window from mm-hmm. like a debut at a festival to, you know, if it doesn't have a distributor kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you got stuff that get, gets picked up at Sundance, you know, very early and then don't come out for another 18 months. There's a film uh, that I saw, was it last year? Last year at the, the Toronto Film Festival called You're Next. Uh, this, this really, uh, this really kind of really fun horror movie uh, that was very much the buzz uh, at, at Toronto amongst the, the you know the the, the genre set, um, and it was, it's a lot of fun. And it's not coming out until uh, August of 2013. Oh my god! So it's almost a full two years after uh, Lionsgate eventually picked it up. I mean. You could talk about scheduling. I mean, they had Cabin in the Woods in April. Right. You know, they're just looking, you know, V8, this VHS thing is coming out from Magnolia uh, next month. So, you know, sometimes it's all about timing. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's got people you know, but mostly people you know from the indie world. It's not, you know, a movie they can really sell, uh, you know, with stars kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and so. sometimes some films just get completely swept under the rug. I mean, I remember 
I don't know. I don't know if it played. I'm assuming it played Sundance, Leaves of Grass, and I was like, oh, I like that Tim Blake Nelson guy. I really like his movies, and mm-hmm. you know, it starred Edward Norton. I thought, well, this has got to get at least some kind, even if it just plays the art houses in the cities and whatnot. It's got to get some kind of release. And it was like two years later, I saw it on the DVD shelf. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Ebert was the one who like gave it four stars and thought it was he great. It, yeah, you know, and I thought I, I I can't remember if I saw that at Sundance or South by Southwest. Yeah. It might have been South by Southwest that I that I saw that thing, mm-hmm. but I I didn't care for it. So. I know I didn't either, and that was like <laughs> the first time I was kind of like, oh man, what a bummer because I really liked that yeah. guy's other movies so much. And coming off of something like The Gray Zone, I was just hoping for mm-hmm. you know another great film from that guy, but it's too bad. And it's just it's always interesting though when. You get so many. You get you get inundated. I mean, how many you, how many movies did you see total at 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 TIFF? Just, at the seven days that I was there, I saw thirty eight movies. Wow, it's incredible. And that was that was with the Rob Zombie movie getting canceled <laughs> on me. So I would have seen thirty nine. Wow, yeah, it's incredible. Really, I mean, I'm 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 assuming that the it's weird. It's like I know that, and people who have listen to this podcast know that I am not at all a Rob Zombie fan, but there are a, a good number of our listeners that are defenders of his work, including my co-host Patrick, who actually likes The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's... It, I, but it's weird, like, even, you know, um, just seeing the buzz from, you know, the Twitter feed when that movie... when did It did have some kind of screening at some point, I think, and... Yeah, there was a midnight show. There was a there was a press screening that was on the schedule, mm-hmm. uh, and it was, it was it was so far on the schedule that it was even on the schedule that we were handed at Toronto. So and that was always my plan to see it at that press screening. Uh, and then I I walked out of a seven o'clock movie to get into the line for that one, and there was no line. Uh, and I had to literally I found had to find someone, and they were just like, "What screening are you talking about?" And it actually wasn't even on their big board uh, screening <laughs> list. So it just somewhere it got. You know, got pushed off the schedule, uh, but they did have the midnight premiere the next night, and I had already seen six movies that day. Uh, at that point, uh, including the ABCs of Death, that I was just coming oh, out man. of, and I was my series, my eyelids were really heavy, and I was just like, "Zombie at midnight? I don't, God, this ain't gonna, that ain't gonna happen." No, you don't want to put yeah. yourself through that. <laughs> I couldn't do it. No, no, that's okay. I'm sure we'll all get to see it, and. We'll be all miserable afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've heard not good things. What a shock! And, yeah, and his, know, right? I'm, I'm sure his, he's got plenty of close-ups of his wife's ass, and you know, a lot, uh, of, a lot of the fanboys will be happy. Yeah, good times. So let's start off on a on a happy note because I am really excited. It's weird because when I saw the trailer for uh, Silver Linings Playbook, I, w- I had mm-hmm. a little bit of reservations just because I had read this book and I read it last year. And it dealt with um, mental illness in a very humane way. And I thought it was Mm -hmm. really beautifully realized. Great characterization. And as I was reading it, I did think of something like Sideways and thought, this book should just be adapted by Alexander Payne. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, "Mm, Bradley Cooper, really? Uh, That's not who I pictured at all. Enough but, to give you pause when, yeah. you see, when you see him, especially obviously you love the book so much, right? Uh, to see a guy that, to be kind, has not exactly impressed us Mm-mm. much uh, with his, with the, not only just his acting but his choices. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, tell us more about the, your love for the book because I'm I haven't read the book. Well, it's it's pretty much you know just a great you know streamlined narrative about you know a guy who <laughs> is just 
kind of uh, you know emotionally inconsistent and also just he he has very poor social skills. He does not know how to say the right thing to people. And he'll just blurt out whatever he's thinking, even if it's inappropriate. And that yeah. gets him into a lot of trouble with a lot of people. Um, but, you know, again, and it's and it's one of those things where, you know, two, uh, you know, people who struggle with, you know, some sort of uh, mental affliction of, you know, of some kind, they they meet and then they somehow connect, you know, and then they become better people by you know and and I know the connection in the book it it really does become uh, intense gradually and I really like also how it incorporates a, a love of sports between the family like that seems to bond the family together too so That's I, a big thing in the book the the, the like the eagles the Philadelphia yeah. eagles and oh, stuff yeah. Okay. oh yeah absolutely okay. it goes into great detail in that with the book and uh how that's how the father is really huge into sports and and okay. that and and the brother too. I mean, like that's those interactions are, are are a big deal in 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 terms of that sort of interaction is is uh, essential for them to sort of have some moments of stability because otherwise it's it is a lot of arguing and and you know the the father's like you know constantly judging him for things that he's done or things that he should have done and I I just really liked how. Things played out in a, in a very non-manipulative way. Like I was worried it was going to go, you know, become really saccharine. And then once I found out who directed this, I thought, wait a minute, I've liked all of this guy's movies. Yeah, you gave you you had a little bit of pause, uh, but then you, you see that David O. Russell put it together, yeah. and immediately you go, okay, if Alexander Payne didn't get to this, that's 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 not a bad you know right. lateral move, actually. Yeah, and I could see, like, you know, I mean, Flirting with Disaster is a little bit more of a screwball comedy. but But it has some, it has moments of pathos in it, so I think, I, I, I'm incredibly optimistic, and I know it's won, it won, like, the, the Audience Award, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it did, actually. It won the uh, yeah, People's Choice Award, whatever it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. referred to there, which is something that the, the Toronto Film Festival was very proud of in, uh, in all the sort of the, the pre-show advertisements and things that they have. Um, they were really touting the fact that the, films, the most recent films that have won the People's Choice Awards went on to win Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> they were really cause, like King's Uh-oh. Speech won the People's Choice Awards, and then Slumdog Millionaire won the People's Choice Awards. And uh, I, I don't know if Silver Linings Playbook is going to have it in it to necessarily win mm-hmm. Best Picture, but I think it's very much in line uh, that it's going to be talked about as definitely a, a nominee contender. Well, that's for great. Certain. I know, I know yeah. Ebert's sort of thinking it could be Argo. It could be Argo's year. Well, no, Argo is definitely ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we, we want to start, we can, you know, let's save that for another show. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I just recently did, like, sort of a, a faux Best Picture ranking uh, currently, uh, just based on what I've seen and the, the you know the few trailers you know for films that we haven't seen like Lincoln and uh, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and I had Argo number one. Oh wow! Well, great. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think yeah. uh, at least at least very much for the nomination. You know mm-hmm. that that's how I'm sort of ranking them right now. But you know, back to Silver Linings Playbook. You watch the trailer, and if you were to sort of describe the trailer to people or to put it down on paper, it would sound like this really sort of cornball, you know, almost like guy overcomes disease of the week type movie. Yeah. Because it's, it's a guy with bipolar uh, uh, disorder who's coming back 
he's com- you know he's coming back home to his family and meets a girl who's also sort of you know damaged in a way and then they enter a dance competition together <laughs> you know if you describe that if that if you describe the book that way to me i'd be like oh for god's sakes like really I've, i cause i i swear to god i see at least one of these type of movies at a film festival every year uh-huh <laughs> Where you have like the you know the mentally damaged man and the mentally damaged woman and they come together and they find peace, you know um, it's, it's like the line from Untamed Heart. Marissa Tomei <laughs> says uh, like you know he's you know he's I, I forget I'm 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 gonna fudge the line but it's like he's broken I'm broken together we you know we're we're together kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. That's like that that move that Untamed Heart came out came up twice in one day. That's so weird, so <laughs> random. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but no, I mean. Bradley Cooper, you know, I other than A Team, I really have not been a fan of this guy's work, and he really delivers it. He brings it in this movie, especially in I'd say the first forty-five minutes, because the first forty-five minutes of the movie is where he's really, you know, he's he's just come home. The social mm-hmm. interaction is definitely not there. Uh, he's not on his meds yet, which is sort of a big you know, part of the, the first act of the movie that you know he should get on his meds. And when he's not on his meds, he's talk. He's really talking fast. He doesn't yeah. know how to interact with people. He has kind of a mini breakdown in a house that's hilarious and scary at the same time. Um, and I think once he gets on the meds, then it becomes the Jennifer Lawrence show. Oh, nice. Okay. Because Jennifer Lawrence now Jennifer Lawrence enters the movie in in the first act and could just take over the movie from there. I mean, she you were just hypnotized with her performance and the way she's able to just, you know, just to command a room or a street or a block, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of actress she is. Absolutely. She's got a, just, I mean, she's, she's stunningly beautiful, uh, you know, to behold just, just on a, you know, visual standpoint, but she is a, she's a real actress. Um, I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, we used to like praise, you know, like a young Natalie Portman, for hmm. um, and at some point, you know, J- Jennifer Lawrence might even be ahead of Natalie Portman because she's these roles that she's getting and she's taking. Um, you know, she could very well win an Oscar before even Natalie Portman did at age thirty. Um, and she's and if she's, I'd be shocked if she was not nominated for this movie because there's a scene, and I'm sure that you, the, you'll know the scene I'm talking about in the book oh, where she has yeah. to go toe to toe with Robert De Niro, who plays Bradley Cooper's father. Yeah. And, and basically sort of, you know, describe to him why she's the perfect fit for his son. Mm. <laughs> okay. And it has to do, it has to do with sports yep. and stuff. And, and it's so beautifully acted. It's, I mean, and beautifully directed too. David Russell has the entire, pretty much the entire cast in the living room of his house. Um, and, and Jennifer Lawrence is just holding court. She is just holding court, just giving it to everybody in the room, and her giving going straight on with De Niro in one of the funniest scenes he's played in many a years. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, this, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I know it's a it's it's a I mean it's, it's great for everyone involved. There is going to be some talk for De Niro for for awards and stuff. I don't know if it's quite going to come to pass. We'll you know we'll we'll see how the next few months go. But Jennifer Lawrence should be a lock. The screenplay I think is very much in contention. Um, I don't know if the David they'll go again with David Russell for, as director, but you know, picture actor actress screenplay that's that's a good start, and they're all very deserving. Wow, this is this is just made my night. I'm very excited <laughs> because, like, I mean, again, you 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 have a certain affinity for a book, and you know, you, 
it's like you, you you develop a bond with it in a way, and it's like you you don't want to see it ruined, you know. And yeah. th- I had the same feeling when I uh, I read A Simple Plan before it came out. Yeah, and okay. obviously I loved the director, but mm-hmm. you know that was one of those moments where as I was watching the uh, the movie and knowing what happens in the book, and they decide to make a big change, a big alteration from the book, I had like you know something in my brain went off and went, whoa, whoa, what, what, what'd you just do? You did something completely different, but mm-hmm. what they chose to do differently actually made the ending way more impactful to where I'm like, yeah. that must be one of the few times where they took out a flaw of the book and made it better in the movie. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's rare when that happens. And so, you know, if David O. Russell can be true to the book and also just add you know, these incredible actors to the story. I'm, I couldn't be more excited to see Jennifer Lawrence evolve as an actress as well. And I'm, I'm very, very curious to see Bradley Cooper actually act. Yeah. <laughs> and do it's, it well. I mean, it's, the, it's easily the best thing he's done, uh, which is, you know, maybe not saying much, but it's, uh, but it's a sincere compliment. Uh, and this, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence has been, you know, doing fine for herself the last few years. This is the best thing she's ever done. Great. So, uh, and and it's a, and it's a crowd pleaser. I mean, we're saying big things like bipolar and you know mental illness and stuff like that. This movie, this is a comedy. Mm-hmm. This, this is this is a comedy, and and people will you know will really respond to this. Now we'll see how you know the Weinstein's handle the release sure. of the movie. That's what gives me pause, frankly, because you know they are very good. Uh, they do very well by their, you know, they're sort of their Oscar contenders and whatnot. But even then, only a few of them have really made any like made like serious money, mm-hmm. you know. And the fighter, I mean, it wasn't a it was a Paramount release, but you know, the fighter did did pretty pretty darn well for David O. Russell. And it'd be nice to see him have another hit so he can continue to make movies. Yeah, he deserves know? to. I, the best stuff right. in the fighter was the the family quarreling and the d- domestic disputes and. You know, Absolutely. he got a hell of a performance out of Christian Bale, so I don't doubt that, uh, you know, we're going to see some more great work mm-hmm. from other actors. Uh, and speaking of great actors, I'm, you know, any anybody who knows, uh, you know, who has seen things like Bug and, and Take Shelter, or even in Re- Revolutionary Road, uh, you know, Michael Shannon, he's just one of the sure. best, absolute best actors working today, and... I'm extremely curious about the Iceman. Uh, I've heard mostly that, you know, uh, decent movie with great uh, perform with a great performance from Michael Shannon. But I'm curious because I don't know too much about it, or I don't know anything about the plot detail specifically. So, uh, yeah, just curious about that one. Well, the basic premise um, of the movie is um, I'm gonna I don't have the guy's name in front of me. It's a uh, Michael Kuplinski or something like that. It's a real life guy who became uh, a hit uh, hitman for the mob hmm. um, and became so well known that the, his like his hits eventually started kind of spiraling out of control and he actually became sort of known by the media as the Iceman. So the Iceman killings were, were going on. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it's a it's a gangster movie. You know, oh, cool. it's, it's okay. Michael Shannon, um, you know, playing the, this tough guy that's, you know, he's a family man, but, you know, when he's on the job, he's as cold as ice. Um, <laughs> and it's it's just, it's just very run-of-the-mill. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really sort of get you into the mindset of of a guy like this. It's you know, as a character study, it's it's kind of a failure. Yeah. You know, it's you know, I mean, you got Ray Liotta, you know, doing some nice work in the movie as the heavy in the movie. Um, and you know, David David Schwimmer plays a what? guy in the mob in this movie with a really kind of awful mustache. <laughs> um, and he he plays kind of like the screw up guy in in the mob. Um, that sort of spirals spiral some things out of control. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's like, I mean, Winona Ryder plays Michael Shannon's wife. Um, it's just, I mean, I sat there the whole time. It's like, it's not, you know, you know you're not watching really a bad movie, right. but it's just, it, you know, it, it's a movie that you could see on, you know, it's like a movie you could see on any street corner, you know, of, of any video store. It's just, you know, it's just there. You yeah, know, it doesn't. It kind of happens, and then it's over, and you, it's completely disposable. It's like a, a genre movie that doesn't elevate itself in any way. Like, yeah, you know, like Drive did so many amazing things stylistically, to right. where you kind of overlook like the very sort of simplistic plot and the fact that oh, it's kind of there's some mafia connections and things mm-hmm. that you you come to expect in those types of movies. But look at all the amazing flourishes and touches that 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 Nicholas right. Winding Refn brought to that. That's what I was hoping for with the Iceman, simply because I want to see Michael Shannon in, in great yeah. movies, too, not just, like, it, being great himself. It's a movie that needed to be, and a movie that I kept thinking about the entire time, just like, okay, this, if this movie had, you know, the, the stones to do it, it would actually take a more Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer approach mm, yeah. to this character, and it it doesn't. It's just kind of like you know. Oh look, he can kill you know without you know you know without thinking about it. It's just he just does it, and that's that's great and all. But you, there's got to be there's got to be a little more than that to him. You know, we've seen the Family Man, who is also the the the, the cold blooded killer many a times, and this one is just kind of nah. Nah. So sorry. No, no, Iceman cometh. The Iceman it no. stayeth away. No. <laughs> Well, let's move on to um, like uh, let's let's move up a little bit here because uh, I know you're a fan of uh, well, again speaking of kind of mafia connections and great actors and the hell of an ensemble, uh, I I'm a huge fan of In Bruges, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw the trailer for this and it made me giddy just based on the cast alone <laughs> and the fact that I can't wait to see what this director does next. So uh, tell me all about uh, Seven Psychopaths. I have a feeling this is a winner. Well, Seven Psychopaths, you, you mentioned in Bruges, and this is the, the follow-up uh, by uh, Martin McDonough. Uh, and uh, he's, again, assembled one hell of a cast. He's, I mean, it's Colin Farrell, Sam Rockwell, Christopher Walken, Woody Harrelson, Tom Waits, and <laughs> a number of other people uh, that you see in the trailer and don't see in the trailer. So it's, just, it's a wonderful cast. And Colin Farrell plays... Uh, he plays an Irish screenwriter with a drinking problem named Martin. Hmm. Um, <laughs> wonder who that could be. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's he's writing a screenplay in the movie called The Seven Psychopaths. Hmm. And uh, he's got kind of a little writer's block. He's kind of only got like two of the psychopaths figured <laughs> figured out. Um, and uh, his oh, his best friend, played by Sam Rockwell, is this uh, this struggling actor. Uh, and uh, he's his, his partner is Christopher Walken, and the two of them together, Rockwell and, and Walken, uh, they kidnap dogs to, to make ends meet. <laughs> and what they do is they, they kidnap the dog, and then the the owner you know posts a reward, and then they miraculously show up with a dog and collect the you know humbly collect the reward. 
and whatnot. <laughs> what a way to make and, a living. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, one day, uh, Rockwell uh, kidnaps a little Shih Tzu uh, that is owned by a uh, gangster played by Woody Harrelson, who just loves his little doggy. He will do anything for his dog. He will kill anyone. Uh, in- <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you the first person he kills because it was just lovely. Uh, but he will he will do anything to get his dog back. So in the middle of this this weirdness uh, that you got going on with the dog, um, the the film becomes this sort of really interesting tale about storytelling. Hmm. Uh, not just with the, with this with the screenwriter, but also about sort of urban legends and myths and how huh. we sort of pass down stories from one generation to the next. It, it, it's, it's this really kind of surprising turn that then ultimately kind of spins off into a very sort of adaptation-like narrative. Oh, wow. In a way. In that there, there are many moments where you sort of get like sort of their idea of the movie within the movie that they want to make, <laughs> and they have these, sort of these faux fantasy sequences about how they imagine these scenarios playing out. Um and and and, re- and it develops beautifully without you know being like a sort of a cheat to the audience. It's not just going to give you the fantasy sequences and go ha ha we got you. It's not doing that. It, ma- it always makes makes you aware of what's real and what's not. So it, you know, it, it has self awareness, but it's not used as like a gimmick. You know, like absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, they always talk about. I mean, Sam Rockwell because uh, one of the things that happens is that uh, Sam Rockwell kind of suggests to Farrell about co writing the movie. With him, and mm-hmm. it's almost like the, the scene in adaptation where uh, he brings in his twin brother to help him, you know, finish his movie, and then it becomes you know, an action movie. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what it's kind of what happens here, in a way. And Rockwell sort of really gets carried away with you know fashioning you know how this is going to happen. He keeps referring to the the big shootout at the end when they finally get you know they get in, you know meet Woody Harrelson and his gangsters and how that's going to play out and how you know he the one this guy is going to save the day and this guy is going to die and what's going to you know uh, a wonderful sort of dissection about uh women characters in movie hmm. Christ- Christopher Walken uh is just terrific in this movie like a really like a, rest- a really great restrained walk-in performance in sort of the same way that Catch Me If You Can oh, was. Oh, wow. uh, But at the same time, pure walk-in. Mm. You know, so it man- he-, he manages to give you both halves of, that per- of his persona, uh, and it- it's a really kind of unique special performance. So you're from- saying both De Niro and Walken are not phoning it in for <laughs> once. Absolutely not. Wow. Absolutely not. And Rockwell, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's, I, I, I'm trying not to say, you know, how many people kill in this movie, but Sam Rockwell kills in this movie. <laughs> um, he's, I mean, Farrell is really funny, uh, but Rockwell sort of becomes the star of the movie. Great. Um, and, 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 you, and then you get Woody Harrelson's. Like, if, 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 how many people are having a better stretch right now than Woody Harrelson with everything that he's doing? Even in, like, you know, even like a movie like Rampart. Which mm-hmm. I was not a big fan of. Yeah, but uh, he was great in it. He's great in that. He, uh, Game Change, ter- the HBO film, great in that. Yeah. Uh, in this thing, t- t- just hilarious, hilarious and ruthless too. That's the what's great about McDonough's stuff is that you can be laughing at these guys one second and be absolutely terrified for uh from them for the next. Uh, and it's this movie is just it's really funny. It's a lot of fun. It's surprising. It's moving. You know, it's 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 you know, it might not quite be in Bruges, and maybe that's because in Bruges was such a surprise sure. when we 
we saw it, so so we kind of know a little bit about the little more about McDonough's work going in now. Uh, but it's but it's every bit uh, as as entertaining uh, as in Bruges. That's so. that's such great news, man. I mean, yeah. like in Bruges, I, I, I in my mind, like in Bruges, because I was thinking at the time uh, because I love the the movie Midnight Run so yeah. much. Like it's I can quote it almost line for line. I've seen it hundreds of times, mm-hmm. and I'm I, like in my mind, I thought. This guy, when I after I saw it in Bruce, I thought, you know, if any guy could sort of capture that spirit the, the, and just manage to make a good action movie with two great characters that sort of like fit that buddy relationship, that you know, sort of became a cliche after a while. Obviously, after the Lethal Weapon movies and everything, right? It would right. be this director. I mean, mm-hmm. he just manages to make good action movies with great, fully realized characters, and they're they're fun and entertaining and just. You know, I don't know. I just had a good feeling about him in general, so I'm so glad his follow up is yeah. is solid, and it's violent too. I mean, people. Nice. You know, I don't want you know be be aware that you know these are there's a lot of people dying <laughs> in this movie, <laughs> um, and dying in very bad ways. Um, so I mean, if you're Sweet. if you're familiar with In Bruges and how violent that movie was, uh, then uh, then you'll you'll be prepared just fine. But yeah. I I highly recommend Seven Psychopaths. Great. Well, I hate to bring things down, but it's got to happen eventually. Here we go. Um, well, recently we did an episode on Noah Baumbach, and uh, uh-huh. I think I, I, I don't know if my, my co-host Patrick and I are sort of, I, th- I, th- I think we're both pretty much on equal ground uh, in, in being fans in general. I, I, I actually really love Kicking and Screaming, and I really mm-hmm. love Squid and the Whale. Uh, I I'm I'm actually not at all a fan of Margot at the wedding, but then Greenberg came along and I was like, whoa! I I think I'm a fan again, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been hearing like people saying, uh, you know, either on other podcasts or I've been reading other things saying, you know, he, his last couple movies, there's just no sympathetic characters. There's just nothing. Um, pleasant about watching either Greenberg or Margot at the wedding and at least Francis Ha sort of gets him back into you know having a little bit more optimism a little bit you know just having uh, a character that you can sort of get behind and and have sympathy for so Mm -hmm. I was like okay I'm a Greta Gerwig fan looking forward to it Uh, I like Noah Baumbach's writing and so what say you Eric (laughs) Um, I say people are being very kind to this movie, really? um, and and maybe they're being kind to it because it's in black and white. I don't know, <laughs> um, but uh, to, to you know to, to retrace the Bombach steps, uh, I'm I'm not a huge fan of of his stuff. Squid and the Whale, um, I, I thought was vastly overrated. Uh, Kicking and screaming was right in the middle of all, all those movies where you had a bunch of you know people whining about being out of college and stuff like that. Um, I, I thought I it was, was I thought fun. it was better than the Whit Stillman movies, to be honest. But see, I, I prefer the Whit Stillman. Okay. I thought there was, there was a little more wit, no pun intended, with the Wit Stillman <laughs> movies um, that, that I found. Even though I the, the characters in those movies were not exactly the most likable either, I liked the way they talked. Um, I don't so know. I, I just like, especially out. in light of the Lena Dunham craze lately with girls mm-hmm. and tiny furniture and stuff, I, 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 I think that like that's, that style, that sort of dry, sardonic sense of humor, yeah. it, it sort of comes that, from that. It, it could very well. I mean, that it could be sort of a residual girls factor now that everyone mm-hmm. sort of 
you know, whether it's the people that, you know, there are people that love girls, there are people that hate girls. And, you know, sure. maybe, you know, we're getting sort of a mix of the, you know, here's the next girls and then here, this is better than girls. You know, this, you know, criticism is a funny beast yeah. sometimes. You know, it's like, you, you, I, I never know who you can trust and where somebody's coming from. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. But uh, to me, you know, I, I watched this movie and I'm, you know, I'm glad you did bring up girls because it's something that is very hard to sort of get out of your mind when you're watching this thing. And this one's, you know, it's a little more, you know, fancy, a little more fanciful, mm-hmm. you know, and whatnot. A little precious is probably a better word to describe it. Hmm. Um, it's just it, having seen Lola Versus this summer with Greta Gerwig. I haven't seen that. Okay. Um, I, 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 I was like, I was watching it all over again, you know, huh. as a, you know, a character in her, you know, mid, mid to late twenties who, uh, breaks up, you know, with a boyfriend and then, you know, you know, moves in with a you know, friend of hers and it's all about, you know, how she's going to get her life together. But she has that sort of that aloof, you know, that, that, you know, that lovely aloofness that, you know, we have, you know, we have in characters like this that aren't quite sure of the direction of their lives and whatnot. So they can be just kind of like, you know, fancy free and whatnot and not really take anything too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, and that, that, that'd be fine if a, I liked the character and B, she was funny and I didn't, I, I'm not, either of those do not apply to my viewing of, of Francis high. I, it was well, very disappointing. Yeah. And, and, and I like Greta Gerwig. Yeah. I have, and, and I've, and I've seen Greta Gerwig give this performance before, even before Lola versus, Okay, and I found her far more charming in you know some of those the early uh, the the Joe Swanberg films you know before she really sort of broke out in in some of these roles. Um, and so, she's great in Greenberg, so I, I love and Green see Greenberg is the Noah Baumbach film that I really like. Yeah, and she's ter- and she is terrific in that movie, and she's not playing she's playing a different part in that movie. You know, the, mm-hmm. it's a, vastly different than what she's playing here, which is the same old shtick. You know, and I sat there, you know, whatever ninety minutes or however long this thing is, and I, I, I felt like, I, you know, like I was strapped into my chair and I just I couldn't get out. You know, I, I wanted to just, to just get out of this world because um, I was not enjoying any of the characters in the movie. Although Adam Driver from Girls is <laughs> is in the movie, uh, so you know the comparisons continue there. He's and becoming he's a, ubiquitous. I think I've, I've yeah. I feel like I've oh, seen him in something else. Was he in Sleepwalk with me? I think he uh, was. Um, he was in something I saw recently. I want to say that was it. If he was in Sleepwalk with me, I didn't notice him because he would have. That was back in January at Sundance, and I hadn't seen Girls yet, ah, so I wouldn't have noticed him then. Right, sure. uh, but he is in. The, he's in Lincoln. Oh, oh wow! He's in, there's a very brief moment in the trailer where he you can see where you can see him. Um, so yeah, no, I'm a, and I'm a big fan of his work on Girls, obviously. Sure. Uh, so seeing him here for like six, seven minutes was a, you know my brief sort of res, you know respite. And then I'm like, oh, okay, Adam Driver's getting to do something, and he's okay, he's kind of funny, um, and, and, and doing something different than he was on Girls, you know? It's That's a, cool. It's a, it's a different character. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm surprised that people are responding to this thing the way <laughs> they are, you know? Maybe, you know, if it's not in Bombback or, you know, black and white, I don't think anyone would give a crap. Well, I mean, your review of this movie sounds like my review of Margot at the Wedding because I just I couldn't spend time with those people, and I know well, those, there's, there's those defenders. are very unlikable characters. These are just kind of like the people you just kind of want to smack into reality ah. and just just say grow up, mm-hmm. you know? Like it's, it's cute, for, it's cute for a while, but then you just want to say grow up, 
Yeah, and Margot at the wedding was just like, quit being assholes. You know, yeah. I mean, that's all. Everybody was an asshole to everybody and saying the completely inappropriate thing all the time. And yeah. just yeah, I like. I swear on this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, totally. I've been holding back. Uh, so that's good to know. <laughs> well, the we'll get review. to a movie I'm sure you'll just want to <laughs> explode with uh, all right. expletives. Yeah. Um, hmm. Let's see. I'm I'm kind of curious because I don't know if I've heard you talk about this elsewhere. Because I am a huge Don Coscarelli fan. Yeah. And I've heard not so good things about this one. And I, I mean, geez, Paul Giamatti, Clancy Brown, and good old Angus Scrim. Come on. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, and I think this is based on a. Uh, a somewhat pop, not I don't know popular, but at least it was it was based on a on a, on a novel, a horror novel that people seemed to to dig at the time it came out. Uh, this is called John Dies at the End. Yes, yes, it is. So I'm um, super curious. This, about, I know this premiered at Sundance, didn't it? It it premiered at Sundance, and that's where I saw this. Oh, okay. Um, so it it did just play Toronto. It's played a couple fests in between, but I saw that this is one of the ones that I saw back at Sundance. Um, I think it was actually the last movie i saw at sundance this hmm. year um and uh and i'm you know obviously i'm a coscarelli fan as well you know god lord knows how much i've praised bubba hotep in the past oh, yeah um you know and and this one i was just, you know just hoping you know for some coscarelli weirdness and for the first 45 minutes you kind of get that um cool i couldn't you know have seen this movie what nine months ago i couldn't recite the plot to this thing if i tried Mm. They're, they're, they're two guys that I think might have come back from the afterlife and now they're, they like, they hunt, you know, th- things that come back from the afterlife or monsters they, and there's a drug going around yeah. and Paul Giamatti is playing a reporter that's trying to get this story and it's told in flashbacks and flash forwards and there's just really weird shit going on in this movie. And what you would expect, and for the first 45 minutes it works because it has that, that, Coscarelli sense of humor, um, it's, you know, somebody even described it as sort of Raimi-esque, you know, monster humor and stuff mm. like that to it. Uh, and then it just kind of spirals out of control and to where you, you know, it, it's one thing to give in to a plot that's just kind of rambling and, and goofy. Uh, it's another for it to just go so far off the rails that you just, ha- you just have to sort of just give up entirely. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens to this thing. Now, I know since Sundance, they... I think you believe he cut it by like ten minutes and whatnot. It was like it was like 105 minutes or 108 minutes at Sundance, and I think he cut it a little bit shorter. I don't know how much that would have helped because it's mostly the back half of this movie that was, that is such a mess, you know. And I, I seriously, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you at the end of the movie what what happened in the last half of the movie. Huh. And some people, you know, wear that as a badge of honor. Sometimes some, you know, people who see the movie and just like, yeah, I don't know what the hell had happened, but it was well, it was wild, man. You know, that's <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful for you. So it's uh, like a lot of people's reviews of some David Lynch movies, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm the most probably all of them <laughs> actually. Uh, I don't know what happened, man. It's so deep. Uh, shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm one of yeah. those people. So man. yeah, so I, it was. It's, it's disappointing. It's a film that is that I'd be willing to look at again, especially now that it's cut down a little bit, and maybe he. Re- reorganized a few things, but uh, yeah, I, by the you know the, by the forty-five minute mark, it was just it just spiraled, and I just you know I couldn't keep up with it anymore. Hmm, maybe that's why it hasn't gotten distribution yet. Maybe, maybe, but it's it's so I don't know. It's 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 got the name appeal, and you know I mean there there there's 
far worse things in the world that have gotten distribution. Oh, fuck. So I, I can't imagine that someone wouldn't pick up, you know, a film with a Don Coscarelli label on it. It just, that just doesn't make sense for me. I'm, although, you know, Joe Dante's The Hole, look how long that's gone without Jeez. distribution. Well, yeah, you know? I feel so bad for guys like Dante and Carpenter. You know, I yeah, mean, no. uh, The Ward and The Hole, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, the, it's not upper tier in terms of their work, but they, no. they it gets buried and then they don't get the enthusiasm to really go out and try something else again. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's sad. It is. Well, let's... uh. Let's 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 turn things around here because uh, I mean we mentioned this earlier in, uh, in the intro, but uh, I am I'm really curious because I, I, even just reading the plot synopsis, I, I I saw the words stunt writer, and and of course we have Ryan Gosling again. And I'm like, wait uh-huh. a sec, wait a second, wait a second. Uh-huh. Uh, are we back in drive territory? And once again, Bradley Cooper is in, uh, you know, what what the heck's going on here? Am I, am I in an alternate universe? Is this an episode of Sliders all of a sudden? Am I in an alternate <laughs> universe where Bradley Cooper is in like great movies? So well, he was he was in two good ones at uh, Toronto. So uh-huh. uh, maybe I think he's he's just he's he's reached a point in his career I think maybe where he's just making better choices. Good. You know, it's like because he's. I think like maybe maybe he learned something from McC- McC- the McConaughey's recent arc, <laughs> where both of these guys were getting cast in, as sort of like the next rom com. Yeah, guy. the pretty boys. You know, yeah. both. You know, and it's really because both are much. You know, well McConaughey we've known is a better actor than that. Uh, certainly a far more charming. Um, and Cooper has been kind of languishing in that world, especially as the sort of like the supporting best friend. And whatnot, and then uh, the Hangover success, and we won't get into that. But uh, but yeah, no, this is. I mean, De- Place Beyond the Pines is uh, Derek Cianfrance. Cien- Cien- uh, uh, I always screw up his name. I'm sorry, Derek. I'm pretty sure that's uh-huh. right, Cianfrance or something. Cianfrance, I believe, yeah. is how it's pronounced. Um, it's his follow up to Blue Valentine, which I love. Uh, which is a tremendously devastating yeah. relationship. Uh, movie, mm-hmm. uh, also with Ryan Gosling in a role that he should have been nominated for, but yeah. was not. Uh, and this this is a very hard film to talk about. Uh, Sounds like I it. I had no idea, and this is this is something that I've been doing more and more of, and especially after this trip to Toronto, I'm going to make a point of it to just not read too much about movies. You know, I I'll look for a director, I'll look for a cast, and go from that. Like hmm. okay, that's the, the, I'll go from that. And I won't read too much about the movie. I won't look at a trailer, um, and th- it's a good thing um, because I if if there's a review out there of this movie, and they're they're sure there there are plenty, I wouldn't read it. Okay, okay, because um, it's like with Blue Valentine, Sian uh, Franz is very much playing uh, with the traditional structure of a movie, mm. and your expectations are going to be kind of thrown out of whack watching the movie and i'm not and he's not doing it in the blue valentine way where he's you know he's doing flashbacks and flash forwards and that kind of stuff um he does it in a much different way that i won't get into too much but the basic story of the movie is ryan gosling plays a uh correct a stunt writer a motorcycle writer in uh sort of a traveling carnival and he returns to a town just doing his job and uh the woman that he had uh a, a fling with the year before Ava Mendez uh shows up at the carnival just to see him just to see him ride and whatnot and he notices her and they sort of reconnect 
uh, and he's you know he's leaving the next day, but he you know he wants to see her, and in that uh, brief period, he discovers that they had a son together, and hmm. she never told him. Yikes. Um, but of course, she's living with someone else now who's helping take care of the child. Ryan Gosling wants to do uh, do right by a ch- by his child. Mm-hmm. Um, he ends up taking a temporary refuge with uh, another local played by uh, Ben Mendelsohn uh, from Animal Kingdom. Oh and yeah, he was he was in The Dark Knight Rises. He had a small role as the uh, the one of the chief Wall Street guys that's sort of orchestrating all the Bane stuff. Hmm. Um, so he hooks up with him, uh, and Ben Mendelsohn is a guy that suggests one way, easy way to get money, it would be to rob banks. You know, sure. and it's something he's done before, and he's got kind of a foolproof plan for it, uh, and especially with uh, Ryan Gosling as a, a, you know, a, a very expert motorcycle rider, uh, that they can do this together. Hmm. So that the, the movie progresses from there, and Bradley Cooper plays a police officer who ends up sort of being involved in this this caper case and whatnot uh and the movie then you know deals with sort of his family life and sort of his um connection uh connection within the police department and that's about all i can say okay. that's really all i can say um and it, it's a movie that uh it, like like a lot a lot of you know good and bad movies are you know sort of defined by their their acts and whatnot and uh, the, the first two acts of this movie are very strong um particularly the, the, the first act the setup of this movie uh with gosling and uh, ava and the, the the banks really strong stuff um and then uh bradley cooper becomes a little more involved in, in the second act that's still quite involving uh, it's the, it's the third act of this movie that I didn't respond to as much, um, where it's really trying to pull together this really this this sort of generational connection between Gosling and Cooper. Um, that <laughs> it just it, it it seemed tacked. I won't say tacked on, but it seemed like overkill. Mm-hmm. Like and it was over it was overkill and it was predictable. Um, and there's a, there's an actor in the third act of the movie that I think is god awful. Uh oh. Uh, the the choices that uh, it's it's an un, it's an un, it's an unknown actor to, to my knowledge, uh, but makes such choices, uh, such simplistic choices that are, are so distracting and don't seem to make any sense to like the the logistics of the uh, sort of where the movie takes place. <laughs> Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much, uh, but it's really distracting, um, and it's a really kind of bad performance that kind of off tilts the final act a little bit. Um, and it, I mean, the movie runs 140 minutes long. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a long movie that's really you know it has a, it's doing a lot with all these characters and all these very these varying storylines and whatnot. Hmm. Um, and the, the first two acts really really powerful strong stuff uh gosling great cooper quite good in the movie ray Liotta again uh in the in the movie uh doing some, of the be- some of the best stuff he's done in a while um uh, de- it's a definite recommendation do not get me wrong it's a definite recommendation um i look forward to seeing those those two x again i'm very curious to see more people respond to the final act and especially when i start 
talking with people who have seen the movie, and I can talk more about that structure um, and what sort of audience's expectations should be based on you know the way this movie is designed. Hmm. Well, I'm 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 very curious about this one for sure. I mean, I really mm-hmm. loved Blue Valentine. I'm assuming that you don't same you don't have the same emotional investment or that like devastation unless I, unless of course that sort of plays into the third act and you don't want to give too much away well, like. I, well there's there's definitely there's a lot of emotional stuff going on in the movie okay. there's, there's a lot of stuff in the first especially the, the first third with uh stuff with gosling and mendez um that uh is, i mean you know gosling is just hypnotically watchable he's just oh, sure. he's, he's just a man um and uh the the stuff between them are is is really nicely done um it's the the third act wants to sort of give you a bigger emotional payoff than i think it does hmm. um and i think part of that is because it's so predictable and so uh, i don't know that's just, too I bad well i mean i'm still i mean based on this guy's last uh film and and uh this this cast i mean ray liotta's showing up a lot he's also in the uh new um what's the guy's name who did uh andrew dominic the guy who did uh Killing me softly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm surprised that didn't play Tiff. I guess it's not ready yet. Or if, I, I thought that that's coming out this year. Is it not? Well, it played Con, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was opening in September, and then Weinstein pushed it back to October, and just last week they pushed it back to November 30th. Okay. Which, which and because the, the reviews at, at Con were not great, hmm. they were they were kind of mixed. Um, and I have a feeling that Weinstein is paying attention to that stuff and is kind of aware that. That one is not going to factor much into the final award, so mm-hmm. he's not going to give two craps about it. That's a shame. Yeah, I really. Well, you know, if it's not good, then you know, say la vie. But yeah, uh, that's one I'm really going into with high hopes because of mm-hmm. assassination of Jesse James. Sure. Well, another movie I'm going into with very high hopes, based on my love for the last movie, and oh boy, uh, the reviews from TIFF have not been kind. For Terrence Malick's latest, <laughs> they uh, haven't. No, not not really. I mean, okay. the I would say that seventy uh, percent have been negative. I think. Okay. I, I really okay. do. I think the the majority of things I've read or heard uh, have not been kind uh, mm-hmm. overall. I mean, there one guest uh, that has been on the show a couple of times, uh, Kurt Halfyard. Uh, he uh, he writes for Row3.com, and he's he's also uh, podcasting on the Cinecast. He's 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 loved everything Malik has done, and he loved it very much, okay. which surprised yeah. me. Which very much surprised me because I just I just kept hearing um, mixed to negative things overall. And uh, I I remember even texting Colin saying this one is coming out so fast that I actually am worried. Like, like this. This is a guy that comes out with a movie every, you know, five, ten years sometimes, and yeah, you know, he takes his time. And this thing is, you know, it's a year later. We already got a new Terrence Malick movie, and I know that in the past you haven't been too kind to the guy, but you no. did really like Tree of Life. I, I liked it. Yeah, it took it took me two viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stuff that I was sort of lukewarm on Tree of Light the first time um, wor- worked for me the second time. Right. Um, I, I still don't like the Sean Penn stuff. I think the ending is <sighs> very much a cop-out um, yeah. of yeah. its themes. But overall, um, it's, that was easily my favorite Terrence Malick movie since Badlands. I, uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, my, you know, 
I, I, people like to joke about me and Terrence Malick and whatnot, probably all going back to me calling New World the worst film of 2005. <laughs> that was know. some good times. Because um, that's, that's, you know, that's kind of infamous, I guess, in some circles, and that's fine. Um, and, you know, you, you get used to the way that Terrence Malick tells his stories. You know, so, and if you're not used to that by now, then you shouldn't be a film critic. You know, so the way he tells his stories, it, it, that's fine. You know, I've warmed up to Days of Heaven over the years, which is really the, sort of the first time he really started telling stories that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. And this one, oh, man, it's, 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 it's hard to watch because for, for several reasons. One, I think whether you love Terrence Malick or you hate him, or even if you're indifferent to him, at least with all of his other movies, you could sit in a, sit in a room and tell everyone what the movie is about, mm-hmm. what the what the general story is, or what the sort of the themes and the ideas that he's reaching for. Sure. Whether he succeeds or fails, you you sort of that's, that's very clearly defined. You know what he's sort of going for. Okay. With this movie, it's not as easy as easy to define. Um, and it, it's a film that could probably use a little more work in his editing room, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I mean, the basic story of the movie is Ben Affleck, uh, he plays sort of like, uh, kind of like an environmentalist, uh, you know, he like, he goes to like sites and inspects the, the ground, you know, he's kind of like Aaron Brockovich, you know, <laughs> you know, he's kind of a guy like that. Um, and he's, the movie begins, he's in Paris and he's hanging out with Olga Korylenko um, and her uh, young daughter. And uh, they're obviously in love, and she's loving Paris, and she's spinning all over the place. And, you know, they're talking in whispers, and there's some narration no, going on. No, not in the Terrence yeah. Malick movie. No I way. know. No, not at all. Um, and the, he brings her back to America, and it looks like they're going to start their life together. Uh, but her visa is running out and he's not ready to commit to marriage. So all, all of a sudden you're looking at like Terrence Malick's like crazy, you know? Oh, um, oh boy. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, so, <laughs> wasn't too crazy about that except for Jennifer Lawrence, of course. Of course. Yeah. Black shirt coming down the stairs. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so she, you know, he's not ready to commit. The daughter's not happy that he doesn't want to commit. So they ship their asses back to France um, and then all of a sudden he he kind of hooks up with Rachel McAdams, who is an old acquaintance of him, uh, and they sort of have a, a fling, and he's not ready to commit, so he ships her ass <laughs> off <laughs> and whatnot, and then Korolenko comes back and whatnot, <laughs> and they do get, get married. Um, and in the meantime, you have the local priest played by Harvey Arbredem, who just kind of appears to basically show that he's really not into the priesthood too much anymore. He's just kind of there and he's doing the mass and, you know, he's praying for people and whatnot. But he tells us that he's not, not sure if he believes anymore and his faith's not what it used to be. And the only connection that you can really draw between the storylines that he's telling and the progression that he's doing with the Affleck story is almost like the decline of the American marriage uh, is directly linked to people's lack of faith in God. Hmm. You know, and that's a real shitty message to, uh, for, for him to reach for. And, and it, it rings even more false because of the way he tells, the, tells his story. We don't really know who these people are. We don't really know 
you know, you learn a far a, far more about Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain in their you know brief moments of dialogue and the way and Brad Pitt's kind of towering performance in that movie than you could ever hope to learn about these characters. I mean, the the, the two women in the film, Korolenko and McAdams, they, they apparently they just like to spin. <laughs> they like to they like to spin a lot, man. And it's just like, you know, if you had a girlfriend that just kind of, you know, is like, hey, happy to be with you. I'm going to go spin now. You know, it's just like you would think she's a mental patient. Let's go spin in the forest some more. Just Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just spinning all over the place. And they're, you know, you should running around the house and they're, you know, come catch me, Ben Affleck and whatnot. I don't uh, know. It's just it, you can't you can't go go for a message like that and make a comment on the mo- on the modern state of marriage if you're not getting to know who these characters are hmm. like what are their you know what are their likes their dislikes and you know what why are they you know so far apart because he can't commit you know because she just wants a green card that's all we learn about the characters in this movie i almost wonder if malik is going to come out with sort of a response or like an antithesis version of that approach to relationships because like it, in tree of life, there's almost like an ambiguity between creationism and mm-hmm. you, you know what, like just like I was getting more of the impression that, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't have a set. Yeah. I mean, you could sort of, um, guess that maybe that stuff, you know, was heaven when you, you know, the latter part of the movie, the the part of the movie that most people aren't a fan of when Sean Penn sort of gets to reunite with everybody, that is sort of Malick's um, version of heaven. And, you know, but then again, we, I felt like there was a lot of ambiguity and that, you know, he was taking a different approach in that movie to where, um, wow, why am I blanking on the other term? That's not atheism. It's between (laughs) <laughs> agnosticism, agnosticism yes yeah. i was getting more of that vibe throughout tree of life because he gave us a little bit of both you know mm-hmm. brad brad pitt was a religious man and he yeah. you know played organ in the church and everything but we got mm-hmm. a, a glimpse into the creation of the universe through the big bang too right so i like that he gave us both but in this, it just it sounds like a little almost kind of preachy with like the well, Javier Bardem. Well, what I stuff. liked about Tree of Life with that that dynamic that you're talking about, yeah. and the, the the connection that they're making is the idea that he sort of gives us the, gives us evolution. He's like he's right. telling you this here's this is ha- this happened. This is where where it's at. And then you have you know this this family in the in the fifties or sixties who are you know that that is where God lives, praying to an entity. <laughs> That he has told you is not really responsible for for what's going on, right? Right. You know, and so I, you know, I, that so that that was a dynamic that I very much responded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, like I said, it's just like that, that's a really crappy connection to make to, to make for people. I mean, some marriage, you know, they're all different kinds of reasons why marriages don't work. Yeah. And I heard someone someone at TIFF. Um, I don't know if it was anonymous or someone was repeating something, but where someone res- said something like, "Where if Tree of Life was Malik's vision of heaven, this movie is his vision of pr- like purgatory or hell." And hmm. the one, the, the most striking moment in the movie, the movie where I kind of like perked up for like a moment. I'm like, okay, that's a that's a really kind of funny connection you, he just made. Where uh, when when Affleck and Curly Ankle do get married, um, in, you know, in the film. They do it at a, at, a, at a justice of the peace, the court in a courtroom, and the marriage paper is actually signed by uh, a convict. Huh. You know, the, they have like the convicts <laughs> sitting there as the notary republics. 
the notary publics and whatnot. I thought like that. Okay, I'm like okay, now there's a funny commentary yeah. on marriage right there. That's okay. Good for you, Terrence, for making. I, know, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I like there. that too. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I don't know. I mean, again, like I know he's got another freaking movie in the works. I think. I think it's mm-hmm. got with Natalie Portman. So yeah. I don't know if uh, that's coming out next year already or what he's up to next. Um, I mean, I'm still obviously ex- – I'm sure it's got to be good visually at the very least. You know, I mean, it's got to well, be – Well, yeah, of course. It looks it looks great visually. And yeah. Yes, you get shots of people, you know, touching wheat. You know, that's, that's shots. And you're sitting there – you know, I mean, seriously, it's like you're sitting there like with like the, you know, the shot glass in your hand just waiting for the shot of the wheat and the people touching the wheat. Like, okay, come Take on, Marilyn, drink. give it – there it is, gulp. Yep. You know, so whatever. Let's go – let's pull a 180 since we only have a time for a few more titles here. And I right. know you're going to be very excited to talk about this one. Please. Cloud Atlas. Mm, yes. Um, I am – again, I think I've liked every Wachowski Brothers movie, including Speed Racer. That's bold statement. It is. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that that was one of the earlier surprises for both me and Patrick because we did not see Speed Racer in the theater. Okay. And uh, we were told by our guest, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the Matrix, but pl- let's let's you know revisit Speed Racer. We're like well, I never even seen it. I never even bothered yeah. to see it because of all the horrible reviews it got. And yeah. people I respect and colleagues all said it was crap. Um, yeah. I thought it it was my first Blu-ray experience, Eric. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was the first time okay. I was my I, I just picked up a Blu-ray player. I had um I actually try I put on my headphones and I had really great sound and everything mm-hmm. and like I was just like oh my god this is like a live action cartoon and yeah. I mean the story say what you will it's over long but it's just uh, uh, astonishing eye candy I don't know I mean mm-hmm. I think we differ sometimes like every now and then I'll I'll, I'll I'll get on board for like an ADD style visual kind of hodgepodge like Scott Pilgrim. (laughs) And so Speed Racer was like that, at least in terms of execution, that I kind of admired it. And Mm -hmm. again, like I just I think the Wachowskis at least bring their A game in terms of uh, creating great entertainment. But The Matrix, at least the first one, was also incredibly thought provoking and fascinating on top of it. They're definite innovators, yeah. Um, and 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 at their best, uh, the Matrix and Bound, um, and and I I fully support uh, Matrix Reloaded as well. Once sure, you get past parts of it, once you get past the first forty five minutes, I think the last hour and a half of that movie is pretty terrific. Yeah, there's some um, great action and, sequences in there. Yeah, and Revolutions, I say maybe the, the the first half I I like quite a bit, and then the second half yeah. I'm not so not so fond of. But mm-hmm. there there are people that really you know the Matrix sequels have become their own punchline in a lot of circles, you know, with the Wachowskis. Um, and Speed Racer certainly didn't help their cause. And Cloud Atlas is a one risky mother of a project for them to tackle. Um, and, it, you know, and, and you know, a good part of me says, you know, just good for them, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to take this thing on. And um, here's another one where I, I had not read the book. Um, I had not seen the the big five minute uh, trailer that they they cut for this thing that people were sort of all in, enamored about a few months ago. Um, so I, I had no idea really what this thing was about. All I knew was that you had you know a really good cast. I knew it was a you know it was a generational thing. Um, it was partly science fiction, and so I just I sat down, and it, it's one of the more unique, just 
movie-going experiences I've had, just personally, mainly because I did such a 180 on this movie halfway through hmm. that I don't think I've ever done in such, in, in, in such a wide chasm before on any movie, ever. Because um, the first half of this movie, uh, without telling you too much of what it's about, um, it's a movie that's sort of span. It, it's, it's telling six separate stories through various... Uh, through various centuries, 1700s, 1800s, early 20th century, far in the future, and then even further in the future. Um, and you have the actors in the story. You have Tom Hanks, Susan Sarandon, Jim Sturgis, uh, Hugh Grant, uh, Jim Broadbent, um, a whole bunch of people in the movie, uh, all playing variations of characters in all these different uh, times. Hmm. Okay, So they're all playing, and, and sometimes... Tom Hanks is black. Sometimes Halle Berry is white. Sometimes uh, Jim Sturgis is Asian. You know, sometimes Hugo wow. Weaving is a woman. You know, it's all these. <laughs> so you have all this stuff going on, and so you have like the first forty-five minutes of the movie where you have to establish all of this. You have to establish all of these settings. You have to establish the, the general ideas and the storylines that are going hmm. on with these things, and then you have to. They had to then start to make connect the dots between all of them and how one storyline eventually is going to affect another storyline, not in a time travel kind of way, not in a sort of a Zemeckis back to the future kind of way, but just the general, I, you know, just the general sort of ideas and principles that what we do in one lifetime affects another lifetime, whether we're aware of it or not. And not even our direct descendants, just, we just affect another lifetime. We affect another generation, hmm. um, which is a really interesting thing for a movie to, to take hold of and tell it in, in the way that they do it. And the, like I said, the first half of this movie, I mean, I'm sitting there and there, there are two titles popping in my head. One is Southland Tales and the, and the other is Dune. Hmm. Okay, and I know there are a lot of Southland Tales supporters out I, there. I, I am one I, of them. Yep. Yeah, I have I have warmed up to that movie a lot since the first time. The first time I saw that movie, I really hated it, uh, but I've really warmed up to it uh, in subsequent subsequent viewings. But it's it's the kind of movie that will confound mm-hmm. people. It's the kind of movie that you need patience with because when this movie starts really connecting the dots, the Wachowskis literally you could almost see them, you know putting their foot further down in the pedal and you're watching the pace of this movie slowly pick up throughout the movie until it's at such a fevered pitch that you just have chases and you know just connections and lessons and you know violence and all this stuff going on between all of these storylines and the way they're able to, to to make you keep track of everything that's going on and know who all these characters are and then make the connections between one character and one generation to the next this could be a very important piece of work wow. actually because the ultimate messages of this movie were so profound and so moving to me that I went from I went from Dune to you know a near masterpiece within you know a, an hour span. Nice, you know, which you can't. You, I mean, movies just don't do that that often. <laughs> um, and I, I, I mean, I, I was sat there stunned at at the end of this movie, and just, I wanted them to rethread it, hmm. you know, or re or go or redigit, redigit, <laughs> redigitize it or whatever, um, and just so that I could just start and 
re-experience how this movie was set up and how it got me to that point where I was so extremely moved. Um, and it's like I said, it's a challenging movie. It's a movie that takes a while to warm a, a, a long while to warm up to. This movie is over two and a half hours long. Oh man! Okay. Well, it sounds so like it's it, worth it though. Goodness. Yeah, it, it ultimately is worth it. But yeah. <laughs> but people are going to there are people going to hate this movie. Hate it, hate it pretty viciously. Uh, believe and, it or not, the the guy I just mentioned who liked, I think actually loved to the wonder, Kurt Halfyard hated Cloud Atlas. So maybe okay. you guys are just completely on the opposite. It's wrong. Yeah. No. The, the audience we'll knows this. The audience knows who's right in this this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I implore any audience member to sit through To the Wonder and Cloud Atlas back to back, and you tell me what's the better film. It's pretty, yeah. pretty. Sir. Well, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm pretty much on board for the Wachowskis. I I, I if you're I'm on board with Speed Racer. Then there, I I can't see how you <laughs> won't like this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think when I saw the trailer, I was first thinking of the Fountain. I mean, obviously the Fountain's like a ninety I minute. I got up a lot. Yeah. That got up a lot, but uh, there. But uh, when I heard people talk about the Fountain uh, after Cloud Atlas, uh, the the general word that came up was also hate. <laughs> so so those people that were making negative comparisons to the Fountain. But then saying that they lo- they thought Cloud Atlas worked better, um, and it's it, it's not like the fountain where you, I mean, it, Cloud Atlas allows you to make all a lot of connections yourself. It's not necessarily always pointing you dot to dot in the direction like, see, this is how this is, this and this. You know, it's making it's allowing you to do your homework and allowing you to do the do math. Uh, throughout the movie, um, and it's it's it, it it just like I said, it reaches a fever pitch. It becomes extremely fast paced. There are like re- like crazy chase sequences and some some you know some serious violence. This is an R-rated film and R-rated for good reason. Um, yeah, I, I I can't wait to see it again. I really can't. And some I'm sure I'm I'm assuming some great visual effects and because ama- there's such in- innovators in that regard. It, the, the, some of the visual effects in this movie are are terrific. The makeup in this movie is particularly stunning. Um, just one because like I said, there there are you know they're they're turning all of these uh, actors into you know. <laughs> to, to to everything else, the different races, the different genders, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Hugo Hugo Weaving. When you see Hugo Weaving as a woman, you're gonna you're really gonna start thinking of Dress to Kill, because uh, <laughs> because he does sort of play when he when he does play the the woman character, he is sort of playing the kind of like the nurse ratchet of a oh, old folks wow. home. Well, that's fascinating though, Eric, because of obviously ne- she's now known as Lana. Lana. Wachowski. Yeah. So I mean, she must have put a personal stamp into this story as well, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, this this movie uh, this movie tackles everything. It tackles mm-hmm. racism. It tackles, you know, all kinds of prejudice. Uh inclu- I mean, there's there's a a, a homosexual central homosexual relationship in the movie. That's also one of the more moving uh segments of of oh, the film. Wow. Uh Ben Wash- Ben Washaw uh plays uh a character uh throughout time in the movie and he's he's really good in the film. Tom Hanks having a blast doing all kinds of accents and characters and playing good guy, playing bad guy. Good for um, him. I'm know. I'm excited to watch him for two and a half hours have fun. Oh, it's just it's it's great. I, yeah. every, I mean, you know you know how much I like this movie? Jim Sturgis is really good. Oh no. Movie. That's what is going on at this festival, man? Bradley yeah. Cooper, Jim Sturgis and I know man. Wow. This is great. It's yeah. totally worth 
going to TIFF apparently just to see these actors that you don't normally expect uh, great things from. Definitely one of the. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, TIFF has always been known for getting high-profile films. Yeah, uh, and sometimes it's just a matter of them getting you know the best ones. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and there's not you know they they always get the ones that you know the big ones that are coming out in the you know latter third of the year, and sometimes they just they're just not very good. But that's not their fault. You know, sure. that's a film that you would expect to play at a festival and just happens to just not be very good, you know. Right. Well, let's do two more here. And I, I'd be remiss, especially since you brought up the word hate mm-hmm. and you mentioned the movie Dress to Kill. Yeah, okay. Um, well, let's, do the, let's do the movie I know you actively disliked and then we'll end on a happy note. So, uh, oh, good. Yeah. Good. Let's 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 talk about uh, De Palma's latest because uh, uh, I know you and I differ on De Palma in general, but because uh, uh, I'm an Apollo, I, I don't know. know we do, I, do we defer that much? On De Palma? Uh, you just like his recent stuff more I, than I, I do. Well, I don't like um, I don't really like Black Dahlia or Redacted, okay. but I I do. I don't know what that was weird when uh. I think only me, Ebert, and Nick like put Femme Fatale in our top. Fi- well, Peter, I'm I know he's Peter's the best movie of the decade. Peter Szymanski. Yep, that would yeah. that garnered quite the reaction here on our podcast. That was wonderful. oh, I know, I heard it. Yeah, that was <laughs> I definitely heard it. That was wonderful. Yeah. Um, no, I just I don't know. I sometimes again, you know, maybe I'm too kind, but it's also just like. If some director brings their A game in a way that I can appreciate, even if it's just like, you know, uh, he has a control behind the camera in a way that I really respond to. Like, he just does mm-hmm. amazing things. And, you know, even, you know, back in the day when Sam Raimi was kind of making some mediocre stuff, like Quick and the Dead, the storyline's not that great. But no. Christ, the camera work <laughs> is amazing. So yeah. I just get like, you know, overly excited, and I focus on that one positive attribute. So De Palma is one of those guys where, just because I admire like what he does audaciously with a camera, I will focus on that element and go, "Well, shit, he did something amazing with split screens." Applause. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I will admit that his screenplays aren't always the best. I will admit that. The acting, especially by Rebecca Remain Stamos in Femme Fatale, is not very good. No. But I just, I just dig his style. That's all I can yeah. say. Yeah. So well, let's hear about his latest. Well, you know, we, we had mentioned sort of Carpenter and Dante and how we're, we sort of feel bad for mm-hmm. them and that they, they can't seem to find, you know, work or at least something, you know, passionate enough to sort of stir their juices. Um, and here you have the Palma who, you know, Black Dahlia, you know, was a movie, obviously, that you know, sort of screams out for De Palma, um, that I think is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever sat through in a theater. Um, Redacted, I think, is an interesting experiment for him sure. that I didn't think was really that, that great. No, bad in execution. Um, but not terrible. I didn't, I didn't, there's some people I know that hate Redacted. I didn't hate it. I just didn't, you know, respond to it uh, as much as other movies. Mm-hmm. Um I think I might have seen Diary of the Dead at the same festival. Yeah, that's that, that's that'd sure. be an odd like even if you just saw that at the same festival, that's yeah, that'd be an interesting very, double bill. Very, they're very close apart uh, together mm-hmm. those, those two movies. But uh, so here, but so now you got De Palma tackling a remake of uh, the French movie Love Crime. Uh, have you seen Love Crime? No, I haven't. I'm going to it, though. It's good. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's it's quite good. Not not a great movie, but just kind of like a solid little. You know, thriller that's got some surprises and is just kind of fun. 
um, Ludwig Tagne and Kristen Scott Thomas again speaking oh, French. I like both um, of those actors. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so that's your sense, that's your cast in Love Crime. So now you have uh, you have uh, Rachel McAdams and Numi Rapace on uh, this movie called Passion, and you have Rachel McAdams in what I think is kind of an epic miscast. Uh, playing the Kristen Scott Thomas role as sort of the the the, the boss to uh, the Numi Pace character. There's they're friendly. They work together. They work together in the same office and advertising company. Um, and uh, the Rachel McAdams character of uh, kind of very early in the movie pulls kind of a working girl on uh, <laughs> her colleague and basically sort of steals her idea literally right in front of her. Basically, just you know takes credit for her idea uh, to the superiors. Um, and that starts a little bit of a riff between them. Uh, of course, Numi Rapace is, happens to be sleeping with her boyfriend uh, also, so you got that dynamic going on. Sure. Um, and then the movie, the, the, the way Love Crime progressed was this sort of this, uh, the, how this relationship kind of dissolves, you know, right before your very eyes, and how each one of them is, you know, for whatever reason, you know, trying to outdo the other, uh, and Rachel McAdams basically sort of plain as if like her mean girl character is now sort of like an executive. It, you know, when, when I first, when I heard the, the casting in this movie, I, I, I was certain that knew was going to play the boss character and Rachel McAdams was going to play the, the slight, the smart, but slightly naive underling. That would have made a lot more sense to me. Sure. That, yeah. You that kind of makes just, sense. It, it just seemed, it just seemed that way. And when I, when I, the movie started, and for like five minutes, I'm like, wait a minute, is who, is who's playing the boss character here? Like, I'm like, oh, she's playing. Oh, okay. Well, let's see how that plays out. And <laughs> it plays out pretty terribly, actually. Um, but the first hour of De Palma's remake, uh, very much in step with the French movie. So if you've seen that one, there aren't very many surprises. Um, you know where it's going, and it's just kind of you know a little more melodramatically acted because that's just the Palma style yeah. sometimes, uh, most of the time, actually. Um, so you're not, you know, so you have that dynamic going on. And I was not, I wouldn't say I was bored, but I'm sitting there waiting for what has eventually become sort of the big centerpiece of both movies uh, without, well, again, without spoiling anything. It was a big sort of suspense sequence that happens uh, almost two-thirds of the way through this movie. And that's the moment, I'm, uh, the whole time, even weeks before... I saw the movie. I'm like, okay, this is the movie that De Palma is going to knock out of the park. And it, it was kind of naive for me to think that because he did stuff like that in Black Dahlia that I thought was pretty piss poor, you yeah. know? So I'm sitting there kind of naively, naively hoping like, this is the, this is the moment where I start to get back on the De Palma train, that this is the sequence. And he could not have made the worst possible choices that he does with this sequence. Oh. Drains it completely out of shock and surprise, and so many things that De Palma should have could have been able to do in his sleep with this sequence. And it's the first m- moment in the movie where he really sort of goes De Palma on you with his old bag of tricks. It's where you get the first split screen yeah. of the movie. Okay, <laughs> so you got you literally you have a, a a ballet sequence going on on the left side of the screen, and the the, the, the suspense sequence that you're supposed to be paying attention to on the right. Couldn't be lesser linked to the two of these, the two of these oh, sequences. Oh man! And I'm sitting there like, 
okay, what, where, where's the tricks? Where's the misdirection? Where's all, you know, the camera work that is so, you know, the, the De Palma is, you know, almost codependent on at this point. Where's the diopter shots? Where's all this yeah. stuff going on? And he doesn't, and he doesn't bring it. And, and the, so the sequence happens and I'm going, what the hell was that? And then the movie takes its turn into the final act, which obviously we won't reveal. Um, and it go again. It just shifts back into if you've seen the the French movie, you've seen everything that happens here until it ends, and De Palma goes on for another ten minutes just to prove to you that he's De Palma. Okay, the movie <laughs> to the point where the French movie ended. Okay, and you go, okay, that's the end of the movie, and then De Palma just goes De Palma on you, and he gives you the dream sequences and the the. The, the, oh, the very kind of suspense sequence that you thought was going to be, but at this point, it's completely laughable. It's completely derivative, not of Hitchcock, but of his friggin' self. Okay? You want to talk about Dress to Kill? You get in the last ten minutes of this movie. Okay? If you've seen Dress to Kill, you've seen the last ten minutes of this movie. You know? And I, I got angry. I got really angry at the Palma again. In well, a way that I hadn't gotten since Black Dahlia, and it just—it it was a combination of anger and sadness. I'm like, I'm not going to get that old De Palma back. He is—he is, he is mm, just. Go- that's depressing. I—I yeah, I don't well, know. Depressed. I mean, that's just—I know he's an indulgent filmmaker, and I know, sure. he, and I know he likes to rely on his old bag of tricks. But fine. but at the same time. You know, we and the fact that we just watched Blowout recently on the big screen, know. you know, and that's we want that so bad. You know, we, yeah. we we just hope that he's still got some sort of amazing suspense film left in him. You know, and I I actually I mean I don't I don't know like even just the opening of Snake Eyes. Wow, what an amazing tracking shot! There's still something. Yes, he's still got something in each movie that I can admire, even if it's just visually or the way he sets up a shot. And Femme Fatale has some cool stuff in it. Uh, yes, it does. So what went wrong? I don't know. That's I'm still going to you know, see it, but... You no, know, you were talking about, like, Sam Raimi with, like, Quick and the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very, you know, kind of very astute that, you know, I mean, the storyline is just kind of nothing. Right. Uh, but the but the visual style, I mean, that's a movie where it's basically like, you know, it's one of these movies where the director just kind of jerks off on their own, you know, the love of the cinema. Yeah, he brings his A-game, you know, Which still. is great. So, right. I mean, it's, it's him basically going, like, I want to make a Western, and I'm going to make it this way. Okay, and then you have you know, a movie like What Lies Beneath, which is a mech is just kind of jerking off on Hitchcock, and it <laughs> kind of works, you know. Yeah. And that's how I kind of look at Raising Cain for for De Palma, in that I'm not a big fan of Raising Cain, but I can at least look at that and just go like, okay, this is him just kind of jerking off on himself, you know. <laughs> and it's just like it's like all like every single trick is in there, and he gives it to you early and often uh, in that movie, and so with. But at least it's consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that's missing from Passion is a general consistency. Um, and yeah. like you said, if you've, if you've seen the French movie, The Love Crime, then you already know everything that's going on. So it's up to De Palma to at least twist it in a way with his own sort of visual stylings and gimmicks and do it in a consistent manner throughout the movie instead of just, you know, I mean, seriously, it's like him playing Tantra with himself. <laughs> 
and he's just holding it for 80 minutes. He's like, I'm going to give it to you now. And then he just <laughs> explodes all over your face in the last 10 minutes of the movie. And it's just like, you know, dude, I've seen you do that before. You know, go bukkake on somebody else. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's that's an image I won't get out of my head anytime soon. Thanks. Yes. No, that's great. Um, no, I just uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to do the next segment you invited to me. Do Palma yeah. and Bukaki and cinema. Yeah, and man, Woo. welcome audience. You're yeah. No, th- thank you. Eric. This is what happens when you take the restrictions off. <laughs> Can you imagine if I could get? Like if Nick had an unrestrained podcast, how many how many oh f bombs would that would like? Especially if he had like beer. It sounds like Scarface. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. Let's um end on a happy note. I'm gonna let you choose. Like I'm. Let's see. I'm curious between and which one did you like more, antiviral or the impossible? Which one do you yeah. think? Uh, which one would you like to end on? Uh, the Impossible. Okay, cool. Much much better. Um, any any viral, I'll just say really quick. It's I mean it's Brandon Brandon Cronenberg. It's David Cronenberg's son. Yay! Um, very much a chip off the old block. Great. And I and I mean the old block. I mean the old you know Cronenberg. You know loves to play with people's bodies. <laughs> you know stuff. You know it's that kind of chip off the old block. Good old body um, horror. Gotta love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's a film that I think. It has, it has a lot of really good ideas in the movie, um, and it's not it's definitely not something for everybody. Uh, but I kind of liked it, even yeah. though I, I think it, it ha- maybe has one too many ideas that it can't quite pay off. Uh, but ultimately, I thought it was interesting enough, and it held my definitely held my interest throughout the entire movie enough that I I definitely recommend. Uh, I, I well, most definitely I, I give it a, a, a minor recommendation for mm-hmm. its our its our audacity. Cool. Uh, so, I, so I did like that, but the impossible I liked very much. Um, and it's uh, the latest film from uh, Juan Antonio Bayona, who last directed The Orphanage. Oh is, yeah, that's really creepy. Which is a, a, a really yeah. great uh, horror film that uh, people people should look up. You know, everyone sort of uh, like likes to give uh, Del Toro a lot of praise in that, mm-hmm. that period, the Pan's Labyrinth and the stuff like the, the Orphanage for me is the real deal. Yeah, the uh, o- um, the others and the Orphanage would be a great double bill so for Halloween coming up. Yeah, that'd be a fantastic double feature. Yeah, um, and this and this one is you know it's it's a different kind of horror movie. It's a it's based it's, it's the true story of a family that got caught up in the 2004 uh, tsunami um, in uh, Indonesia. Cool. The, uh, the largest, uh, most devastating tsunami on record. Uh, it's the story of the family, uh, husband and wife, played by Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts, who uh, take their three uh, young boys to Indonesia for the uh, Christmas holiday, Christmas Eve and Christmas. Uh, they have a fun holiday, and then, literally without warning, the tsunami hits and just wrecks through their entire vacation resort, uh, and it becomes a survival story uh, with... Uh, mostly focused on Naomi Watts and the eldest child played uh, by a young actor named Tom Holland, giving one of the best child performances I've seen in the last few years. Definitely, you know, if you make like a top five list of best child performances, this one has to be on it because it's a film where, you know, a a 10-year-old essentially becomes the star of the movie. (laughs) Um, and it's a story where obviously he has to go from a boy to a man in a very short period of time, um, where he has to learn empathy and survival skills and, 
knowing when to you know say yes and say no in survival situations um and then you know just you know, the way the way it progresses is kind of beautiful um first of all the tsunami sequence alone is one of the best disaster sequences i again i've seen in some time hmm. um certainly as far as uh you know sort of like the opening devastation you know we think of you know like Poseidon adventure and films like that um uh, where you you get like the first you get the bum rush of the disaster and then it just becomes about you know surviving it right. uh th- this is one of the best ones you've ever seen technically uh the way the cinematography is is stunning and beautiful um and you know seeing Naomi Watts and this boy you know going you know going downstream in the tsunami and all the wreckage and stuff that's going on underneath them and what they have to you know to survive just trying to get to trees and stuff like that is is pretty terrific uh and then surprisingly enough and this this is where the movie really kind of took took me by surprise the movie is already powerful enough setting setting this whole situation up this whole scenario where this family is separated and you don't know who's alive and who's dead until the movie uh, is ready to tell you hmm. uh the movie then uh eventually the, you know the, there is safety to be found um and then you the second half of the movie is basically sort of the, the aftermath um and how who's left of this family is going to reconnect with one another <laughs> and the movie takes on a very decidedly spielbergian tone um and any you know anyone that knows me know this this is very high praise. Oh yeah, for uh, you for, especially, you know, sure. Um and seriously, it's like if you didn't know any better, you would think that Spielberg himself, you know, was giving pointers behind the camera because like I said the movie does take on the focus of uh, a child's point of view throughout uh, a good portion of the second half of this movie. A good portion of the movie in general. Hmm. Um and the movie be- again becomes about uh, connecting and the way he helps other people uh, through the aftermath and in the, uh, the hospital and how he connects with his mother. Uh, hmm. You know, it's, it's not it's not really these one of these films where you got like, you know, the the you know the the family is at odds with one another and the tragedy is going to bring them together kind of thing. Like, no, they're a pretty happy family to begin with. You know, and there's the ten year old. That's is, good. Is, I'm going, glad it takes that approach. Yeah. I mean, the ten year olds going through some growing pains. There's a scene on a plane early in the movie where the kid's kind of bored, and the mother goes sits next to him, and you know, it's but it's not like done as like like, like I hate you, mom. It's not. It has nothing to do with anything like that. Good. Um. So, so there's there's, there's serious serious emotion to be had throughout this movie, and it's the kind of emotion that I think sometimes that. I mean, we, especially when you attach the name Spielberg to it, immediately there's a certain subsection, um, you know, maybe you know, maybe the 47 percent uh, shut down, so so to speak, um, <laughs> to, to say, you know, just like oh, Spielberg, he's playing, the, he's playing the sentiment card, and wow, we can't believe that or whatever. Yeah, like, like, hogwash. Hogwash. That runs because hot the, and cold with me sometimes with the sentimentality, but if it's done in a more of an empathic approach, you know, like yes. I, I I respond to that too. It absolutely is here, and it's not it's not doing doing so in a way where you just go like like oh look, let's raise know. the score and get an emotion right. out I of mean, the audience. There's definitely a score. There's definitely an underlying score and whatnot. Sure, that's um, to be expected. But I mean, the, the way he tells the story, um, there's, there's one sort of moment where it's kind of like <laughs> it might. I don't know. It might. It didn't really drive me nuts, but I'm just like, okay, this is a little more of a movie gimmick where it's just like, you know, the one character is in the background, but then you see the one char- the other member of the family is in the front foreground, doesn't see, you know, can't reconnect because he doesn't see him in the background. 
mm-hmm. kind of moment. You know, these 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 moments in film that I'm talking about, where everyone just kind of almost runs into each other, but they don't quite. Yeah, you know, it's like they're they're in the same. They're right there. Just turn around, and he's there. You know, so there's a moment like that. But even that, it's very Spielbergian. It's very. It's kind of done like, oh, just turn around. And just he's there. You'll reconnect, and you know, so that, that all that's going on. But seriously, I mean, I I was I was in tears at the end of this movie. Yeah, um, I've heard that. I've heard that from a few people so far. Yeah, and it and it does so. You know, I mean, it it, it wonderfully plays the story of this family without. You know, sort of making it like, like, oh, look, the white people survived, and you know, everyone else is left. No, it, it, at the end of the movie, it makes it very clear that even though you know that members of this family, you know, make it, uh, there, there's still so much devastation left behind, uh, and you know, and you do that because you you're introduced to other people within the within the, the movie, mm-hmm. and how you know they're the people that they've lost and connected. It's not like like a straight story. Whereas like one character goes and he meets you know four or five different wacky people who tell them their story. It's just you know just random encounters in the hospital and you know characters you meet and then reconnect with or don't reconnect with that then connect with you on an emotional level. Um, yeah, I was I was a I'm a huge fan of this movie and I think uh, because audiences will respond to it on such an emotional level uh, that I think it could be a player at the Oscars. Oh great. Yeah. And well, it's great because I mean, this guy, I mean, obviously the orphanage is fantastic. And now I think, you know, with this thing, I think he's kind of, he's, he shot himself into another level as well. So clearly hmm. this guy can do more than just, you know, another horror movie. Well, let's hope it's not another, you know, how, how long was the orphanage? It seems like it's a few years ago, wasn't it? 2004. Oh, wow. That long? Jeez. I think it's, well, maybe, no, maybe 2007. Okay. 2007, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, and which I also saw Toronto. That was where I saw the orphanage. And yeah, it was 2007 because it was the same year as uh, Levy and Rose. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope it's not every five years, but then again, like, you know, maybe it's, it does take time to craft something like this, you know, something yeah. on this grand of a scale. But it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I saw like a, like a Spanish language trailer for it hmm. uh, like a month before Toronto. Uh, before I'm mean, like, where did the, where the hell did this movie come from? And like, is this like some, you know, some sort of weird passion project that like McGregor and Watts like owed a favor to someone too? But no, it's I mean Watts is I mean Watts is great. That's good because it, like she's it, been she's been saddled with some crap lately. Like I feel bad because <laughs> you know after Mulholland Drive I I was putting her in the like oh my god she's an amazing a- she is an amazing actress i think even yeah. after something like 21 grams i just i don't know i think she's i just think Kong, man she's fantastic yeah. King Kong. yeah and i just want to see her do more great work in great movies and it sounds like this is yeah. one of them so i'm i'm, I'm happy for her that's great yeah this is, this is good stuff I, I i highly recommend this i think it almost sounds like you know the impossible you know in beasts of the southern wild beasts of the southern wild is like maybe a, a, that approach on a more micro level and this is like the macro level version of it where yeah no that's a that's a that's a that's a worthy comparison again it'll be a very kind of interesting uh double feature between the between the two of them because there's a, a lot of like family stuff and you know deathbed stuff in the movies and whatnot and yeah so yeah that, that's a that's a make a very interesting hmm. double feature yeah so before we sort of wrap up here um just curious like overall like your feelings about this year it's it's i mean would, would you say there's more highs than lows or kind of an average year and then just sort um, of yeah I, I i tend i'm tending to err on 
uh, the more positive side. It seems that year. way. Um, and, and and a good part of that, I mean, sometimes it all just kind of comes down to not noticing, you know, how how mediocre some of the movies are. <laughs> um, and you tend to notice it more when you have a couple really bad days. Yeah. Like, I only had one day this year uh, where it was like an 0 for 6 day. Like, I didn't see anything good that day. And it was also really late in the festival, too. It was like a Tuesday uh, the second to last day, so it, it was just like, okay, there's my bad day. Uh, <laughs> but the rest of the week, you know, even if I was like two and four or two and three and that kind of stuff, uh, the stuff like Cloud Atlas and The Impossible and Silver Linings Playbook um, and, and stuff like that uh, really sort of elevated the day to where even there was only a couple movies that I really truly hated. Um, and what, there, there which one, what, which of, one would you say is the worst? The one that I, I hated the most was a liar's autobiography. Oh man, that's so sad to hear. Yeah, the the based on the Graham Chapman uh, autobiography. Uh, it's a it's a movie that uh, if you're a Monty Python fan, don't even bother. Oh god, well then I don't won't. Even I won't. Bother. <laughs> that would I don't want to be depressed. Then I he's don't gay. Wanna... He's gay and he was an alcoholic. Okay, we knew that. We yeah. knew that. Thank you, movie. Great. Yeah, he does. He deserves better than that. That's Absolutely me. does. Yeah. Absolutely does. Well, Eric, great wrap up, man. Thanks so much Thank for you. for uh, coming on the show and having like a you know more of a free form long. I was gonna say long winded, but that's more <laughs> of like a I'm sure some of your listeners will call it long winded. Oh no, 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 not at all. It's it's just I just uh, again I I love the idea of having more of an organic approach to you know, archiving a conversation and, you know, thank God for podcasting because it's, you know, you know, it's not only just because of the freedom, <laughs> you know, like I've always brought up the fact that the movie pump up the volume did a number of things for me mm-hmm. when I saw it. And the idea of, you know, hosting my own radio show was not just inspired by that movie, but by a direct link between the two of us, and that would be Mr. Nick DiGiulio. Sure. And so it's it's really great, to, not only just because of having this awesome creative endeavor for, for me and the fans out there, but just because, like, podcasts in general have allowed, um, you know, your contributions to WGN and uh, Nick's radio show basically archived in its entirety every week you yeah. know mm-hmm. and it gets more accessibility for anybody out there and it doesn't even have to be local people can access it all across the world so um you know it's just really great when you know little things like this can can contribute to uh you know people's love of, of uh any art form and especially the movies here and it's always a pleasure to talk with you man and, uh, Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on, and I—I uh, I mean, I echo everything you just said. And it's—it's it's nice to have you know something like this, uh, something that you're doing that gives that—that that, like you said, long-winded is not not the word you want to <laughs> use, uh, the term. Uh, but just something where you can just be—you you can expand upon a conversation. You know, even you know something as great as Siskel and Ebert was, you only got to you know hear them talk for maybe six, seven minutes tops about a movie, and mm-hmm. you just you could. List, you would rather listen to them in a, I mean, could you imagine if Siskel and Ebert had a format like this <laughs> today to hear the two of them talk about everything that they loved and hated for about two a movie? hours? Yeah, for two hours. It'd be it'd be amazing. And you know, obviously not to you know to compare ourselves to you know to what they've sort of you know you know brazed the path for. 
Um, but it, but it's great that you know to have something like this out there, and I think you know what you're doing with the podcast, I think is really special. Oh, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate that too, man. I mean, I I think it's also awesome that uh, you you have a different version of this once a month too, kind of like with with uh, with Sergio. I mean, that's more of like in the radio mm-hmm. uh, format as well. What what's yes. the call numbers for that? Uh, WHBK. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's really cool too. I enjoy listening to that. That's more yeah, of again like sure. a free form approach with uh, Sergio Mims, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people should check that out too. And all that's kind of linked all um, in one particular section on eFilm Critic, right? Yeah. The uh, we get we got a section that's just dedicated to uh, linking all of the uh, WGN podcast. And we've linked um, pod, your, not only your podcast uh, website, but the individual stuff that guys at uh, eFilm Critic have done, uh, Colin and Peter and myself. Um, and uh, the WHPK stuff, uh, we link there as well. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so you just you, you go there and you get a link to your stuff. You got a link to the, the WHPK stuff. You got a link to my TV stuff is on there, and I'm on every week doing that, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to have all these venues where I can talk about all the different aspects of the business while maintaining them as individuals, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, just like, well, this movie was not going to respond to audiences. And so, you know, I'm giving it, you know, a bad review because this box office isn't going to be good. Yeah, I don't you like know, that approach. To, I, I like to, you know, this is for reviews and uh, yes, I can mention that we, you know, the, the award stuff can happen, but that's a separate thing. Sure. You know, movies, movies don't, ex- you know, exist to win awards or for you know for a box office glory and whatnot those are just residual you know things that we you know when we love a movie we want to see it make money we want to see it win awards it's it's that simple right and to you know to declare it as anything more than that uh, I think is kind of missing the point I completely agree I'll also make sure to put a link up in the the sidebar on our website for that particular page on eFilm Critic so everybody can just Thank click you. on that. Right. Uh, to have access to everything um, that Eric and Colin and everybody at eFilm Critic contributes to uh, in an audio format as well, which is really mm-hmm. awesome. Um, in terms of uh, uh, writing and, uh, you know, where can they find your work and uh, follow you on Twitter and whatnot? What, on Twitter, um, Eric the Movie Man, that's mm-hmm. Eric with a K, uh, all one word. Uh, you find me there, and uh, if you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just type in Eric Childress. You can sure you can find me there. And uh, anything that uh, I do uh, <laughs> have time to write these days uh, does go up at eFilm Critic. Right. And uh, and I do a box office column for Movies dot com as well every week. Oh, that's so, great. Oh, I'm all over the place. Oh yeah, you keep busy, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Eric. Have a good Thank night. You, Talk to you soon. Right. Okay. Good day and welcome to our single. I'm Bob McKenzie and this is my brother Doug. How's it going, eh? Beauty, eh? Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay, okay everyone. This record was my idea. Get out! It was. You're lying. He was hit here just sort of rid on my coattails. Why are you doing this? It was our idea together, eh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. We agreed to, to say that, but... Oh, take off! You know, I mean, seriously, it's like him playing Tantra with himself. 
and he's just holding it for 80 minutes. He's like, I'm going to give it to you now. And then it just <laughs> explodes all over your face in the last 10 minutes of the movie. And it's just like, you know, dude, I've seen you do that before. You know, go bukkake on somebody else.